It amazes me when there's someone that I know pretty well, like we, we're in church together, we shake hands on Sunday, ask how you're doing, how are your kids, but, but then you actually sit down with that person and have a conversation, and you talk about life, and you find out there's this whole lifetime of stuff that you just didn't know anything about, right? Like you didn't know this job they worked a long time ago, the way they served in our community or this church, another church served our nation, something like that. There's this big piece of them that you knew nothing about, but you finally took time to sit down and talk about it and you learned so much. It's my hope that that's exactly what this series of messages and this whole adventure we're on that I've called 50 Days with Jesus, I hope that's what happens for you. I hope that somewhere along the way in these 50 days, as you're reading through the Gospel of John, as I'm teaching this, you're going to go, man, you know what? I didn't know that about Jesus. Or it's been so long since I read this, I've forgotten. And that happens, right? We read the Bible, and then we read it again, and we go, Man, I didn't, even, I didn't even see that this part happened or it's been so long that I forgot. And so it, it's my hope that for all of us, me included, we are reintroduced to Jesus and have some awakening, some insight, not only about things about him, but about who he is and what he offers us. And so I hope you're continuing to read along. We'll talk about a couple passages today that should have shown up in your reading this week. Now, Last Sunday, we talked about a hugely important passage, one of the favorites in all the Bible that just points out the fact that God sent Jesus because he loves us. Okay, it's as simple as that. Jesus is God's expression to us that he loves us. And we talked for just a little bit about how we respond to that love, right? So if God loves us that much, how do we respond to someone who loves us in that intense and sacrificial way? And I said, well, it's about faith, right? Because that's what that passage says. It's about believing some things about Jesus. John tells us at the end of the gospel, hey, this is why I wrote this whole book, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So part of faith is believing Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. But it's more than that, isn't it? Is about trusting Jesus. Because he is who he said he is, we can trust him with this life and we can trust him with eternity. So faith is about belief, but it's also about trust. Now, here's the thing. For some people, faith is hard to come by. Okay. Now, for some of you, you've been a believer a long time. It's part of who you are. It feels like there's a, never a time when you didn't believe in Jesus and trust him. But, but maybe there's some folks in the room that are new to this or you've been through something really hard. And because of that, faith is, is really difficult. Like you would love to have more faith in Jesus. You would love to believe all those things in the Bible, but you're just struggling with that. And you know what? That's really common. It happens. And it's okay if you're in the middle of that. And I want us to talk about a passage that I think helps with that. It's not going to solve the problem. You know, 20 minutes of me talking is not going to figure that out. But I hope there's some things that I'll say that may at least point you in the right direction this morning. Now, we find this story in John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is a great chapter. It's all about people coming to faith. Now, the chapter opens with a story that I love. I've preached on it several times here, so I didn't want to preach on it again. But it's the story of a woman that Jesus encounters at a well 
in Samaria. What's happening is Jesus has been in Jerusalem in the southern part of Palestine. He's there for a festival. He's headed back home to the center of his operations where he grew up in Galilee in the north. And to get there, he's got to go either around or through Samaria. Most good Jews went around Samaria because they didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. Jesus went through, and because of that, he sits down with a woman and talks. Now, that overcame all kinds of gender and racial barriers, and because Jesus was willing to do that, she and a number of people in the village where she lived came to be believers. They believed in Jesus. They put their faith in him. And then John gives us this sort of throwaway line, Jesus stayed there for two days. Now for us, it's like, okay, well, you got to stay somewhere. He met these people. Why not stay a couple days? But anyone who read this in the ancient world, especially a Jew or a Samaritan, would have said, Jesus, a Jew, with all the animosity that Samaritans and Jews have against one another, mainly related to religion and race, okay? Jesus stayed among the Samaritans for two days. He spent two nights there. That would have been unbelievable, and yet it's exactly what happens. Now we pick up the next story at the tail end of all that. So we're in John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 43. After two days with the Samaritans, Jesus left for Galilee, back where home is in the north. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So, okay, we get that, right? Sometimes home is the hardest place to go because those are the people who knew you when you were a kid. Those are the people who changed your diapers, all right? Sometimes it's hard to go back to that place because they think you know, they know you and you've become this whole other person. And to go back to that can be really uncomfortable. And some of these people probably thought, yeah, I remember Jesus, Mary and Joseph's kid. Yeah, he was, he was a good kid, but Messiah? Come on now, I'm not so sure about that, right? So Jesus knew he was going to face opposition. That all comes later. Right now, it's still pretty good. So the people in Galilee, his home area, receive him well at the beginning. This is how it goes, verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So what's going on is... If you had enough money and you were a Jew in the first century and it was time for Passover, you went to Jerusalem because that's where the center of the activity was. That's where all the sacrifices were done at the temple. So you wanted to be there during that most holy time of the year. So Jesus' family, extended family, friends, lots of people went from Galilee to Jerusalem just like he did and they saw some stuff there. Now, John doesn't tell us exactly what or everything, but what we do know is that one thing that happened was Jesus walked in the temple and he's like, this place is crazy because all I see are people selling goods and changing money. And he condemned all that, drove people out. And in the end, what Jesus basically says is, I'm the temple. I'm the place where people come to meet God. Well, that was striking, okay? We also, probably Jesus performed some miracles there too. They're not recorded by John. So we don't know everything he's talking about, but they had seen something in Jesus that made them say, I want to know more about this guy. So we see that going on. Verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Now, 
what we see is John telling us that the first miracle, he says this when he tells the story, the first sign Jesus performed was water to wine. Remember that story? Jesus is at a wedding feast. They run out of wine. That's a big problem. So his mom says, hey, Jesus, do something about this. Jesus says, no, not time. And she says, hey, waiters, come do whatever Jesus says. And then Jesus turns the water into the very best wine. John says, the first sign. It took place in Cana of Galilee. That's where Jesus goes back to. And then we read this. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum, another city in Galilee. Now, this word royal, royal official, it really is literally a royal. So what does that mean? Well, it could be translated royal official. That's a perfectly good translation. It might mean that this is someone in the royal family. What royal family are we talking about? Remember Herod the Great? He's the one who kills all the baby boys when Jesus is born. His son, Herod Antipas, is the king propped up by Rome in Galilee. So it's someone from Herod Antipas' household has come to Jesus. Maybe a family member, maybe an official, but none of that really matters for this man. We don't even know if this man's a Jew, but he comes to Jesus because he's heard Jesus is doing amazing things and his son is sick. Okay, so what happens next? When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now we learn more and more about this son as the story goes along. First of all, we learn that this man's son is sick. Then we learn that he's close to death. It's not just that he's, he's not feeling well. It's not just that he's got some disease like Jesus heals people who are paralyzed. And No, this, this man is, he's going to die. I mean, we're in the first century, right? No antibiotics, no way to bring real healing to someone who's this sick. So what he's about to, to lose is his life. Now, what I find interesting is, imagine the scene. You've got someone from... The, the royal household, either an official or a royal person themselves, and they come to Jesus, what does he do? He begs Jesus. Is he down on his knees? Maybe. A royal person, royal official, on their knees, begging Jesus to heal his son who's about to die. That's what's going on. And what we expect Jesus to say next is, okay, take me to him and I'll heal him. But that's not what Jesus says. And in fact, what Jesus does say is a little surprising, maybe even shocking and, and strange in some ways. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. I go, now, what? Now, this is one of those places where I wish I could hear Jesus, because I would just love to know the tone of voice in which Jesus said this, right? I mean, it's easy to read it as sort of like, well, unless you people, maybe Jesus said that, maybe not, I don't know, but, but Jesus seems to be condemning something that's going on. This man has come and asked for a miracle, 
And it's as if Jesus is looking at the man, but not just the man, right? Because you people implies there's more people around. Unless you people believe, see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Now, Jesus is performing some miracles. But what Jesus is not there to do is just to be known as sort of a wonder worker, like some special guy who can just do some magic tricks. That's not what Jesus is all about. And as we go through the story, what, what I see Jesus saying here is that there's more than one way to come to faith. And one way for people to come to faith in him is to see him do something miraculous. And when he does, then they believe he is just who he said he is. Now, Jesus seems to be saying there's maybe a better way. What does that look like? We're going to see. But, but what strikes me is there have been lots of times in, in my life of faith when I've thought, man, I wish I could be back then. Like, I wish, wouldn't it be easier to believe in Jesus if you could see him heal somebody? Like, you know this person, and you know they've never walked their whole life, and Jesus heals them. You know this guy, and he's been blind as long as you've known him. He's never seen anything, and Jesus heals him. Wouldn't it be easier to believe in Jesus if we could see that stuff? And then Jesus says, Man, unless you people see signs and wonders, you don't believe anything. As though there's, there's something more. That there's another way to believe in Jesus. And I have to wonder if maybe John includes this story because he knew that the people who read this book, like us, who weren't around when Jesus did all this, would have a different path than the people who stood in front of Jesus and saw what he could do. But you know what? This royal official didn't care about any of that. And you know why? Because his son was sick. All this talk about how you come to faith did not matter to him in that moment because like any parent who's got a child who is next to death, they just want some hope. They're desperate. And so verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Will you just, will you just come with me? Will, will you just come down and heal my son. And we, see, we see glimmers of this in other stories, right? Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus gets word that Lazarus is dead or sick. He waits around and Lazarus dies. And Lazarus' sister's like, you could have come quicker. You could have been here. But this man just wants Jesus to come heal his son. And in those words we find out one more thing about this son. Before he's called a son, then we find out that he's sick and we find out that he's next to death. But the man speaks here, he says, my child. It's a different word. It's not a son who's grown up. This, this guy's not 30. This guy's a, it's a kid. We're talking about an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old, a paideia, a child. His, his boy is about to die. Jesus 
Just, just come do something about it. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. But Jesus doesn't go. What does the man ask for? The man asks Jesus to come and heal his son, verse 47. Verse 49, come down before my child dies. Jesus, just, just, just come with me. Because I know if, if, you're, if you're right there, if you can just put your hands on him, he's going to be okay. I just, I just know it, so just come with me. And Jesus says, go. Not let's go, not I'm coming with you. He says, go, and your son will live. And in that moment, this man's got a choice, right? He could beg a little more. He could ask a little more. But Jesus has been really clear. And so the last part of that verse to me is the key, the key to the whole passage. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He took him at his word. You know, back in John chapter 1, two weeks ago, we read that passage at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And what does this man do? He took Jesus at his word. This word that is truth. This word that is the same word that brought all things into being, that created humanity itself, that breathed life into humans. That word, he took Jesus at his word and he left. He acted on faith. And I think what we see is a contrast. Jesus says, you people, you're not going to believe unless you see some kind of miracle. And this man, he had to take Jesus at his word. He had to believe before he saw the miracle. And I think John is showing us the other way to come to faith, right? There are people who witness Jesus' miracles. And, and man, if you're there and you see it, pretty easy to tell this guy's got something going on that nobody else does. But if all you've got is testimony about those things, somewhere along the line, you've got to take Jesus at his word and do what he says. How'd it turn out? Verse 51, while he was still on the way, this man, his servants met him with the news that his boy was still alive. He's living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. The very word he took. So he and his whole household believed. So we've got some people who do come to faith in this story because they've seen what Jesus can do. And we've got at least one man who comes to faith because he took Jesus at his word. Now, John finishes the story out in verse 54. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, the first two signs John numbers for us. 
And I think what John is saying is, okay, I want you to count the rest. You do the rest of the math. And if we do, what we find is we have wedding at Cana, miracle number one. We have the boy's life restored to him, miracle number two, and it keeps going. And it's like the level of intensity and difficulty increases as we go along. Jesus does increasingly amazing things. Control over nature, all kinds of stuff. Restoring blind to, uh, sight to a man who's blind. And then number seven, the number of completion for ancient Jews. There are seven of them. The last one is Lazarus. And I think this story points forward to that story. And it tells us Jesus is all about giving life. You see, here we got this boy. You know, we are created in the very image of God, and it's our, it's our mission, it's our job, it's what God has given us to do to reflect the image of God to the people around us. And what do the powers of evil want to do? Well, rather than allow us to do that, they'd rather see us dead. And so death is the best way for the power of evil to silence us, to keep us from reflecting that glory of God to the people around us. And this boy is just about to lose his life. And Jesus restores it. So he can do what he was created to do. And then we get down to the very end to Lazarus. Miracle number seven, sign number seven, John calls them. And Lazarus has lost his life. He is no longer reflecting the glory of God to the people around him. And Jesus brings him back. And that points forward to the end of the gospel. When Jesus is raised himself and can reflect God's glory for eternity. It all works together. But back to John 4. What does it tell us about faith? And it would be easier if we could see some of this stuff with our own eyes. Seeing is believing, we say, right? Well, what John is saying is, maybe there's other ways to believe. And maybe the way that we believe in Jesus is, we read the stories. That's why I recorded them. We see what Jesus did, but we hear what he said. And when we hear what he said, we, we acknowledge that he's saying something about his identity and we acknowledge that he's saying something about who God is and how we relate to God and what the future looks like. And the, the miracles, John always calls signs. Now, a sign always points to something else, right? A sign out on the road that says Taylorville Christian Church. That sign is not the church, right? It points to something else. In fact, it points to the church building we're actually the church. We've got a sign down at the end of the street. Big red octagon. says S-T-O-P on it, right? We don't just go, man, that's a beautiful sign. We know that sign points to the authority of our local government that says when you come to this spot, you've got to stop your vehicle. It points to something else. The signs of Jesus pointed to a greater reality. That Jesus is who he said he is and that God is at work, and that he's offering us real life. 
And the message for us is that faith is the proper response to these words of Jesus. When Jesus speaks, the way we respond is faith. And it's not just because we've seen miracles, but because we've seen something in Jesus. We've heard something in him that says, this man is different. This man is delivering the message of God. And so the way to faith is not just to see powerful things. The way to faith is to hear what Jesus says. And so that's why we go back and we go back. And we read these Gospels and we read them again and we hear what Jesus is saying and we go, you know what? What Jesus has said and what Jesus has done, and all of that has pointed us to God. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take him at his word. And I'm going to put my faith in him. And because of what he has said and certainly because of what he's done, I'm going to believe. Jesus is saying, you know what? Believing in me just because you've seen some powerful stuff happen, well, that's faith. But I think at best he's saying it's flawed and at worst incomplete. But there's a better way. If we can find what Jesus has said and put our faith in him because we recognize that This person is different from every other person. And he's God. And because he's God, I can take him at his word. And I can trust him with this life and eternity because Jesus is all about giving life. Jesus was present in creation. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God And the word was God. And nothing was made without him present. And Jesus restores life to this boy. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus himself is raised from the dead. And Jesus promises at the end, he restores our life. He's all about giving life. And we can take him at his word. That's what faith is all about. And so let's do that. Let's keep reading. Let's keep studying. Let's keep seeing that Jesus is pointing us beyond. He's pointing us to the God who created us through his word. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the word of Jesus that reminds us who you are and who we are because of who he is. And God, we ask that you would strengthen our faith that you would make our faith whole because of what we believe in Jesus, that you would help us to take him at his word, his creative, powerful word, and that we would trust him for eternity. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.